0: You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6.30 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. Good evening, Revolution. How you doing? All right, I'll take it. So it is the first week of October, and the reason why I mentioned that. It's because it, it finally starts to feel like fall, right? Like, this is beautiful. Anyone else? Like, seriously, like winter people? Like, wintertime? Yeah, like, I detest the sun. I hate the heat. Like, I don't want to go to the beach. I just want to, like, live downstairs in the basement where it's cold, and then fall and winter come, and it's like the outside is, like, my basement. So I'll go out there from, like, a half hour a day, maybe. Um, but, no, it's cool, right? Like, I, I genuinely love fall weather. Anyway, that's nothing. That's neither here nor there. I've just genuinely been excited about that all week. Um, <laughs> Seriously. So, we're starting a new series this week because it's October. Uh, we're taking a break from the Bible story series that we've been doing. Uh, we will be going back to it. We're not calling a mulligan on that. I think it's going pretty well. Um, but we're, we're doing this series um, called Alone for the next five weeks. It's not a depressing series, right? It's not like, like, that kind of like eh, like everyone hurts is playing in the background and all that stuff. Um, this, anyone else? Like, listen to that in the room and just cry sometimes. I did in high school a lot. Then I met Autumn. She's not up here. That's not cute. Um, all right, so uh, so we're doing this series called Alone, and what we're doing with this series is we're is we did it last October. We're doing it again this October, and Lord willing, this is going to be a part of like the Revolution tradition, if you will. That every October we would look at these five core doctrines. That's why it's five weeks long, five weeks long. These five core doctrines uh, called the five solas. Um, now, if, if sola sounds weird to you, it probably should. That is a Latin word. It means alone, right? So we decided to call the series "alone" because we're super, super smart like that. Um, but these are the five core doctrines of Protestant Christianity, or Christianity, if uh, if you want to be like me, that's what I like to call it, uh, biblical Christianity. Um, and these five solas, these five core doctrines, are Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, and glory to God alone, right? And now, before I go any further, I see some new faces here. If you're and you're Roman Catholic, I, we don't hate you, right? Uh, we are Protestant. We're about to get into all this here in just a minute. We do not hate, and, and for the record, just Protestants in the room, right, the rest of us, just take this to the heart. We don't hate Roman Catholics, all right? We might hate Roman Catholicism, right? We might detest the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church, but we do not hate Roman Catholic individuals at all. Um, So bear that in mind. I want you to know that if you're here and you're Roman Catholic. We don't hate you. Um, But we are Protestant. Um, That's why I'm wearing this shirt. I am Protestant. I protest. Um, Because the root word of Protestant, if you didn't know, is protest. Um, And and basically what happened was these dudes um, in the 1500s, they started protesting against the Roman Catholic Church and some of the things that were being taught in the Roman Catholic Church. And they began to attempt to reform the doctrine of the, of the Catholic Church. That's why it's called Reformed Theology. It's, it's basically a Reformed Catholic doctrine. Um, and this really all started with a German monk uh, named Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King. I cannot tell you how many times that I have to explain that to people whenever we talk about this. This is Martin Luther. He was a white German in the 1500s. Uh, <laughs> way different. Um, and, and what he did was... a uh, Basically, he, he solved some of these problems uh, that he had with the Roman Catholic Church. We're going to get into that a little bit more. But he wrote this thing called the 95 Theses, um, were 95 problems that he had with the Roman Catholic Church. And my favorite joke is, I got 95 problems, but a pope ain't one. Um, Jay-Z fans? Yeah, thank you. Um, right? um, but he wrote these problems, these 95 theses, these 95 points that he, he wanted to discuss, and he nailed them to this church door in Wittenberg, Germany, or Wittenberg, if you're pretentious. Uh, Wittenberg, Germany. And he started a revolution. He started a revolution. He didn't even mean to. But what led him there? A little bit of a history lesson because church history is important. We need to know where we've been to know where we are. Um, As a monk... Right, Luther was a, was a Roman Catholic monk, an Augustinian monk to be exact. Um, as a monk, he studied the Bible, which is a pretty good habit for a monk to have, wouldn't you agree? Right? So he finds himself reading scripture all the time, and as he's studying the Bible more and more and more, he starts realizing that there are things that the Roman Catholic Church was teaching and still teach today that were not in the Bible. But here's the thing. Luther knew all along that there were things that the Catholic Church taught that weren't in the Bible. He didn't really have a problem with that on its face because something that the Catholic Church taught and still teaches is this concept of sacred tradition, right? where they say, yes, we have the Bible, and it is authoritative, and it is, uh, it is inerrant, and it is the Word of God, and it is infallible, right? and it's authoritative. But on the other hand, we have an equal authority called sacred tradition, which is basically, the Catholic Church has this idea that says, uh, there were things that the apostles passed down that God wants us to know and practice, that aren't recorded in the Bible, right? So we have the Bible on one hand, and then an equal authority being the sacred tradition of the church, who also is infallible, right? The church is also infallible in their view. Luther accepted that, right? Again, he was, a, he was a good Roman Catholic monk. He accepted sacred tradition. But the problem that Luther started to have was he saw that the Roman Catholic church wasn't just teaching things that aren't in the Bible, that they were teaching things that were blatantly contradicting what the Bible said, and then Luther says, okay, now we have a problem, right? He starts seeing, seeing these problems that, okay, man, like we're told that it's a good thing to pray to Mary, but I see nothing in scripture about that. Or praying to saints, and I see nothing in scripture about that. Um, Luther and the other reformers begin to look at the scriptures and see salvation comes by faith alone. Uh, in Christ alone, not a mixture of faith and good works like the Roman Catholic Church teaches. Um, it starts saying that the Bible itself is called sufficient and inerrant, and nothing else is described that way. And yet the Roman Catholic Church is teaching that there is another authority of equal standing with the Bible. So there's just a few. And, and again, we could we could go more in depth, but I'll spare you the history lesson. So again, Luther sees that... The Roman Catholic Church is contradicting the Bible, so what Luther and the other reformers in the 1500s begin to do is they say, well, we know that Scripture is infallible. We know that the Bible is the Word of God. Christians have always affirmed that. We know the Bible is authoritative. Let's look to it and only it, because if the church has been contradicting the Bible, then the church is not infallible. How many more things have they been teaching us that are wrong, that contradict what God has stated? So they begin to reevaluate everything and look at Scripture alone uh, for what they should believe and what they should do. So this doctrine, Scripture alone, or sola scriptura—there's the Latin for you. Uh, This doctrine of sola scriptura led to all the rest of the doctrines that we believe today. Um, But the the five main ones again: Scripture alone leads to grace alone. Faith alone, Christ alone, and glory to God alone. Scripture alone is like the foundation of the building of Christianity, if you will. Um, and the, the, the next three are the pillars, and then glory to God alone would be the roof. Um, now, we want you guys to know these core doctrines. So I'm done with my history lesson. If you don't like history, um, I don't apologize because you need to know church history. Um, but we want you guys to know these core doctrines. We want these to become second nature for people here at Revolution, that we can just recall these things at an instant, and if something begins to infringe upon or or contradict any of these core principles of Christianity, that we would just ignore it and be able to bat it away with the truth of the Scripture. Um, And the reason why that we want you guys to be able to do that and have these concepts ingrained into your heads is because we live in an age where people don't care about doctrine. Right? People don't tend to care about the specifics of what the Bible teaches, about what the Bible proclaims about God and, and, and godliness and faith and, all, and all, of, all the rest. We have a lot of people, at least I hear this a good bit from, from Christians, and it's, it's a fairly naive thing to say. Uh, I don't care about doctrine. I just love Jesus. Anyone ever hear that? Like, let's be honest. Right or like doctrine is divisive and people who are really into theology and doctrine are just mean which sometimes is sometimes is true right like I will totally give you that one but doctrine is so divisive and Jesus wants his church to be united so doctrine must really not matter that much and again I don't much care about doctrine I just love Jesus but here's the problem with that you can't talk about God without using doctrine Think about that I love Jesus well what are you implying there Why do you love Jesus? Well, because Jesus died for my sins. Well, that's a doctrine called the atonement, right? What what happened on the cross, right? Whenever you say Jesus died for your sin, what happened? Well, he suffered the wrath of God in my place that I deserve. Well, that's a doctrine called penal substitution. I love Jesus. Why else? Well, because he's God, okay? Um, Is he like the only, uh, I don't want to say part because that's not accurate. Is he the only thing that you should reference as God? Well, no, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, that's the doctrine of the Trinity, Right Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God. That means He's a second member of the Trinity. There's another doctrine, right? Like legit, we cannot open our mouths about anything to do with God without doctrine. So that's just a foolish thought to say, "I love Jesus and I don't care about doctrine." That's just foolishness. Uh, people I don't think often understand what they're saying whenever they say that. Um, but these five core beliefs, especially, are so important, because if we lose these five solas, then we lose the gospel. Period. We lose the gospel if we lose these. And we have a divine calling to preserve the scripture and, pre- and preach and teach sound doctrine and proclaim the gospel. God expects this from us. He tells us this in his Word. So this stuff matters. All right, so I wanted to tell you the why we're doing this, so you weren't just thinking that this was just an exercise, and well, Dave's real reformed, and Dave wants to talk about this stuff for five weeks. That's not the case. There's a reason that we want you guys to know this. So tonight, we we start with the root of all of our beliefs, Scripture alone, right? It's a good place to start, and I'm going to define Scripture alone real quick, and I'm going to use a really good definition out of the 1689 London Baptist Confession. This is not the Bible, right, what I'm getting ready to, to read from, but Other things can be true aside from the Bible in as much as they reflect the truth of what the Bible says. All right, so know that. Scripture is the supreme authority. Here's the definition of Scripture alone as I would describe it. The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. All right, I'll read that again. The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. All right? Another way people put this is, Scripture is the supreme authority on all matters to do with faith and practice. Right. How you're saved, how you're supposed to live in response to the God who has saved you. Right? All we're saying with Sola Scripture is that the Bible is supreme, and nothing else, like nothing has the right to contradict it. Nothing else can really hold authority over our consciences as Christians. Nothing else tells us how to be saved. Bible is supreme. Whenever we say the Bible, we mean 66 books Genesis through Malachi in the Old Testament, Matthew through Revelation in the New Testament. The Apocrypha is not Scripture. Right, historically speaking, no one believed that that was Scripture in Jesus' day and in the day of the apostles. So we don't count that stuff. Right, and we're also affirming that all truth is to be measured by Scripture. So now with a good definition, right, because definitions matter. Uh, let's go to the Bible itself and see what it says about this, because it would be really ironic if we said we believe in Scripture alone and then the Bible didn't tell us these things, would it not? Yeah, I'm, you're laughing in my head, so whatever. Um, so 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through chapter 4, verse 4. If you're new here, there are blue Bibles in the back of your pews. Take one home with you, or if there's not one in front of you, let me know, and I'll get you one if you want one. But it's going to be here on the projector. Chapter 3, verse 14. Paul writes a letter to Timothy and he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching For reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Let's pray. Father, help me. Help me to be faithful to what your word says and show the people here the sufficiency of your word, the authority of your word, and what we need to do in response to that. And just how much of a grace that the scriptures are to us. Holy Spirit, work in us and help us to see. Because if you don't work, this is all in vain. Help us to see your truth. Help us to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Help us to hear your voice in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. So, Paul is writing this letter, 2 Timothy, to Timothy, right? Surprise, surprise. We were real original whenever we were picking out names for the Bible, or books of the Bible. So, Paul is writing this second letter to the pastor, Timothy. Um, And in chapter 3, we didn't get to read it. I didn't want to read the pickup verses, um, because they're not super uh, huge for what we're talking about this evening. But in chapter 3... The Apostle Paul is warning Timothy, um, some argue he's prophesying, uh, about false teachers that are going to rise up inside the church. He says that they're going to uh, claim godliness, but deny the power of godliness. So these people are going to claim to be godly, claim to be Christians, and yet they're going to live ungodly lives. And he says they're going to uh, oppose the teaching of Scripture. Right? They're going to oppose the truth. But then where we picked up in verse 14, Paul says, but as for you, Right? So as opposed to these people who are going to oppose the scripture, who are going to oppose the truth and live ungodly lives. As for Timothy, he is the hold fast to what he has been taught. That's what he says in verse 15. Right? And verse 15 says, Timothy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings since you were young. Right? Since you were a child. He's talking about the scriptures. You've been taught the scriptures. Hold fast to what you've been taught. Right? Your grandmother and mother taught you the scriptures. I, Paul, have taught you the scriptures. So he says, hold tight to what the Bible teaches. And then Paul goes on to actually talk in one of the most famous sections of the Bible about the Bible. Paul says about Scripture, he says, it makes you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 16 he says, it is God-breathed. Paul actually made up a word. This is pretty cool. It's a theonustos, I think is how you pronounce it. I'm butchering it because I don't know Greek. Allie's laughing at me in the back because she does. Um, God bless her for that. You guys make me nervous, by the way, whenever I come up here to preach. Like, I know a lot of you out there are like smarter than me, so whatever. Um, right, but Paul actually makes up a word that is, is nowhere else in any other Greek literature. He says this was breathed out by God. It came out of his mouth. And it's, it's good for teaching and correction. And not only that, but it trains us for godliness. And Paul says that we would be complete, lacking nothing. Right. So the Bible makes us complete for godliness, get, tells us how to be saved, and comes from God himself to teach us. So I see three things, right? I see three things that we can learn about Scripture from what we just read that Paul said about Scripture. And the first one is this. this is, these are all huge, right? And, and just me and Stephen were talking about this before I go any further. We can make this whole teaching that we're going to do this evening a big like list of things like yeah let me check that off the box of things that I already believe right and just be like yes I I know this I've heard this before let's move on to something different we can do that or we can we can open up our hearts as best we can to the truths of these things and let them convict us and ask ourselves the questions like do I view scripture this way do I obey scripture this way do I have a good view of who God is from the scriptures? Or am I allowing myself to be influenced from something else? Right, so I, I, my prayer is that you wouldn't do that. Right? That you would let this captivate you, these truths. But the first thing that I see Paul teaching us in verse 16 is that scripture is without error. Right? Scripture is without error, plain and simple. Right? It is God-breathed and good for teaching and correction right and if if it comes from god we're going to get into this in a second but if if paul's saying with the authority of jesus as an apostle that the bible is good for teaching and correction that means that there would be no error in it right because if something's false it's not good to teach us anything because it's just not true but paul says it's good for teaching and correction and it comes from god so that means everything that the bible says comes directly from god don't get me wrong it has a human author but we're going to see in a minute these people who wrote this who penned this were carried along by the holy spirit But the Bible declares that God, if the Bible all comes from God, like Paul says, the Bible declares this about God, that God is all-knowing, that He knows all, that He is good, righteous in everything He does, that He is the source and fountainhead of all truth. The Bible says that there is no lie in God. Right? So lying goes against his character. He cannot and does not lie because he will not violate himself. He is first and foremost true to himself before anything else. So he won't violate his character with a lie. So that means this book is true because it comes from him. Again, the fountainhead of all goodness and truth. Not only that, but Jesus. Right? Jesus Christ felt the exact same way about Scripture. He says similar things to Paul. Paul. He said in one of the most famous, things, famous lines he said about the Bible in the Gospel of John, he says, Scripture cannot be broken. Which is a way of saying it's always right. <laughs> right? Like no, nothing can, can rightfully contradict it because it is true. Jesus claimed that the Bible was the word of God. He calls it God's word all the time. Jesus also referenced the Bible historically as fact. He referenced kings and events that happened in the Old Testament. So he's saying that this book is historically true. And I'll say this about Jesus. This is one of my favorite arguments for the infallibility and inerrancy of Scripture. Jesus proved his divinity by his resurrection, did he not? He said, hey, they're going to kill me, and in three days I'm going to come back. And then he also claimed to be God. Anyone who can claim to be God and then make good on that bet, like, hey, they're going to kill me, and I'm coming back. I'm laying all the chips on the table. That guy is God. Right? Just throwing that out there. Um, And Jesus did that. So Jesus proved his divinity in his resurrection, and we know, like we just said, God cannot lie which means Jesus cannot lie, which means Jesus is telling us the truth whenever he says all these things about the Bible, that the scriptures can't be broken, right? that this is the word of God. So this idea of the inerrancy of scripture, which by the way, you cannot, I mean, even with like a gun to their head, you cannot get a liberal Christian to, a, to say the scriptures are inerrant. Um, this is crucial for us. It's crucial for us to understand this because we live in a culture of relativism, and what I mean by relativism is, and you guys know this, truth is what you think it is, right? Whatever you think it is. I was actually watching the, uh, the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Anyone watch that on Netflix? It's kind of stupid, but it's kind of funny. It reminds me of Eric Kimsey, if any of you guys know. like Kimmy Schmidt reminds me of Eric Kimsey. Um, I hope you're listening to this, Eric. Um, but... They, they were talking about in that show about like, you know, we live in you know, New York City where moral relativism is a thing. And I was like, they actually admitted it. Oh my gosh, I cannot believe this. Um, but truth is what you think it is. That's what relativism says. It can be true for you and not true for me. Everyone can pretty much do as they see fit because what is truth? Which is what Pontius Pilate said to Jesus. But if this book is from God, like Paul says it is, then it is the standard of all truth. On everything that it says, it is always right. So relativism goes straight out the window. This thing is our measuring rod of what is right and what is wrong on everything that it says, on what is true and what is false. Even if we don't like it. Even if what the Bible says rubs against us or goes against what we think or how we perceive the world. This book is from God and God declares in it that it is true. So that's the first thing that I see. The second thing that I see is this. Scripture is the supreme authority. And I won't labor the point on this because you'll see, if you saw it in the first point, you'll see it in this one. Verse 16, again, Paul says, this is God breathed, which means it came from him. Consider this, your word is an extension of yourself, is it not? That's why we tell people, I give you my word, right? Based on my character and who I am, my word is an extension of me, right? That's exactly the the, the same idea that we see in the Bible, It's God's Word. It's an extension of Himself. Now, who is God? God's the Creator and Sustainer of the universe. He is the Ruler of all things. He is the Lawgiver. He is the Author of life. He is Sovereign. He is King of the universe. He reigns supreme over everything. So whenever we take all of that together, that means that God is the supreme authority over everything. Therefore, He is not to be contradicted. No human being has the right to reject or ignore what his maker has declared. No matter what argument that they want to try to use. No matter what the culture around them says. No matter what their own mind says. No human being has the right to reject what God has said. Not only do you not have the right, but to reject any of what God has spoken in His Word is to rebel and reject Him, Himself. Again, you reject His Word, you're rejecting the extension of Himself, you are rejecting Him, you are rebelling against Him, which is the definition of sin. Right? And, I, and when I say like rebel or reject, I mean this is a rejection of the moral commands of Scripture. Where God would tell us to do something and to abstain from something else, and we say, no, I don't want to. Or to reject something about God's nature. right That He is good, that He is sovereign, that He is loving, that He has wrath for the unbeliever. Right? To deny something about God's nature is to reject who He is. To reject how He wants us to think about life. How he wants us to respond in, in situations. To reject who he declares, that Je- who Jesus is. Everything that he says, to reject any of it, is to rebel against him. Even the smallest thing. That's sin. And God says he punishes sin in hell. Bear that in mind. To reject any point of scripture means that you deserve to go to hell. Consider that. And this doesn't mean just a rejection with my, with my mouth. This means a rejection with my life. Because our actions often give way to what we actually believe. So scripture is the supreme authority. And to reject it is foolish because we have no right. And the third thing that I see is this. This is the big one. Scripture is Sufficient. Right, this is probably the biggest thing that Sola Scriptura teaches us, is the sufficiency of Scripture. In verses 15 and 17 of chapter 3, we see the Scriptures, right, the sacred writings. Paul says to Timothy, they can, they'll make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. Right? So we can get salvation. And then verse 17 says that they'll, uh, they'll, they'll make us complete for every good work, lacking nothing. Right, So salvation and godliness is found in the Scriptures, which means that the Scripture shows us how to be made right with God or justified before God, Right, which is through faith in Christ. Paul's actually saying that the Old Testament and the New Testament, all of it, but Paul's mainly referring to the Old Testament, points us to faith in Christ for our salvation and then how we should live to please the God who has saved us. Now, I'll say this about the sufficiency of Scripture. The Scriptures are the only thing that God says can do these things. Nothing else. Right? If you want to say, well, what about telling someone the gospel or preaching the gospel to someone, right? What we're doing whenever we share the gospel or, 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 or preach to someone is we are telling them what the Bible says. So again, it is Scripture. That scripture alone gives salvation. Scripture alone gives godliness and a holy character. Again, Scripture is the only thing that God says can do this. Therefore, it is the only thing to be trusted on these matters. They are so important. Salvation and godliness are so important to God that He says, I don't want anyone else to tell you. I will tell you. Too much is at stake here. I will tell you out of my own mouth. So what does this mean then, that Scripture is sufficient? Essentially this. We don't need any man We don't need any man. We don't need any tradition. We don't need any false prophet with a word from the Lord. God told me to tell you. I don't need that. You don't need that. I don't need any kind of sacred tradition saying, this is what you ought to do according to what Pope so-and-so said. Or some guy saying, here, according to my rules, is what you need to be doing in order to be saved or to be godly. We don't need that. We can reject that outright because the Bible is enough. Only the Bible is described this way because it is God's Word and God alone is without error, the true authority and sufficient all in Himself. That's why God describes His Word this way because it's an extension of Himself. We don't need anything else. And I want to make it clear too, we don't worship the Bible, right? Bibliolatry is what some people call it. Yeah, that's a cute word. Um, we don't worship the Bible. We worship God, and these are his words, so we take them deadly seriously. So those are the, the three things that I see. Right? And I always, Again, I always like to ask the question, okay, what's the Bible say? What does it tell me to do in response to that? And why should I do it? Right? That, that's pretty much the outline for all of my sermons because that's how I think whenever I study the Bible. So what should we do with, with these three points? Right? What should we do with this knowledge about God's word? Luckily for us, God tells us what we're supposed to do with this, right? Again, the Bible is sufficient. Uh, it's a beautiful thought. Um, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, Peter says this, And we have the prophetic word, that's another way to reference the Bible, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the, dawn, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So I was talking to Steve about this on the phone this morning. This is cool. Peter has just got done talking about how he saw Jesus Christ in all of his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. You've heard about that in the in the gospels where Jesus' face shone brighter than the sun and his clothes were like lightning, right? And God spoke from the heavens. He's just got finished talking about that, saying, I saw that with my own eyes. But then he turns around and says this, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. He's saying scripture is a more sure thing than my experience was. That my scripture or that my experience just attests to what the Bible already said about Jesus in the Old Testament. Consider that, because I know in America we got a lot of like crazy strands of Christianity that says, it's all about the experience that you had. What do you feel like the Holy Spirit was telling you? Peter heard God himself talk from the heavens and saw Jesus transfigured and says, the Scriptures are a more sure confirmation. That is incredible. That is incredible. But since Scripture then is, a more, is more certain than any human thought or emotion or experience, and in verse 21 he says, it was given by the Holy Spirit... In light of those things, he says, it is to be looked to as a lamp in a dark place. So what are we supposed to do with Scripture? You ever turn off a light and then lit a lighter? Everyone's eyes go straight to it? Like moths to a flame is how we're supposed to be with Scripture. Scripture. I can infer that Peter is saying the world around us is darkness and we will stumble without a sure guide or sure foundation to stand upon or to go by unless we look to the scriptures. He's saying you stick tight to what the Bible says and you live by it because this is your only sure and certain guide in a dark world. And he says you stick with this word until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts he's saying you stick tight to the scripture until jesus returns and you're in his presence fully because jesus is the word of god made flesh And right, so he says stick tight to the scriptures live by it hold on to it but what else should we do jude 3 which by the way if you ever don't have much time just read the whole book of jude No one thinks that joke is funny? It's one chapter long? I am hilarious. I don't care what anyone says. I'm wasted on you guys. Um, Jude, Jude 3, the third verse of Jude. This is what he says. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. All right? Which always makes me laugh. Jude's like, hey, I was going to write to you about some other stuff, but we got some problems we need to handle right now, guys. <laughs> right? I, I need you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Whenever he says the faith, right, he's not talking necessarily or solely about trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. Whenever he uses faith in, in this sentence, he's referring to the body of doctrine that is Christianity. He's saying contend for the doctrines of Christianity. Sola Scriptura is in there. Right, whenever he says, "Contend for the faith," contend for sola scriptura. Then contend for scripture alone. Right? which means fight for it. Right, we will argue about this. We will we will cut off fellowship with other churches on this issue. Right, we will even uh, go as far as to say someone is an unbeliever over this issue. He's saying contend for this, accept no substitutes, fight for the scriptures, look to the word, reject false teaching, reject anything that contradicts this. And the reason why he's saying contend for this, the reason why he would take the faith so seriously, and again this doctrine contained in the faith, the reason why he would take that so seriously is because for us to allow something else to have authority over us is to declare that God is not sufficient to guide us. If you let something else have authority over you, you are claiming that God is not sufficient, right? Like I was thinking of ways to to try to make an uh, an analogy about that and and this is a stupid one. Um, But this would be like me claiming that my wife is sufficient. My wife, Autumn, she is beautiful. She can cook. She loves me. She is enough for me, right? And then me turning around and having a side chick. Would I not be affirming... From having a girlfriend that I believe my wife is not enough? So, in the same way, looking to anything else but the scriptures for answers about God, morality, faith, and practice is spiritual adultery. You're saying, God is not sufficient. I need someone else. I need something else. I need another source of authority. Because God's word is not good enough. That is spiritual adultery. And that's the number one charge that God makes against his people throughout the scriptures. Is that we cheat on him with false things, with false gods. Furthermore, throwing this out there. If we would see God's glory and character in his word, then we will look to, read, and obey the word and fight for this doctrine. If we really see his character here, if we really see his goodness here, if we really see his truth here, we'll fight for it. If we really see those things, we will see Scripture as the end all be all of our lives. If we really connect with the truth that this is God's Word, it will reign supreme over us, over all things, and we'll call the whole world a liar and say God is true, like the Apostle Paul says in Romans. So we know what we should do with the Bible and we know what God says about his own word. Right? Again, we're we're to look to it and contend for it. But why? Why should we respond that way? Right? What's the incentive? Why should we care so much aside from the fact that it's spiritual adultery not to? Right? Again, one just side note in case someone wants to give me some some heck for this later, I suppose. Um <laughs> Sorry, how stupid. Um, Just in case anyone wants to give me a hard time about this. Scripture should be obeyed because it is the word of God. If for no other reason. This comes from God. But what are some other reasons is what I'm asking. Straight up, trusting scripture alone for faith and practice protects us. It protects us and gives us a faithful guide. Consider that. God loves us so much that He says, I don't want you blown around by every new wind and wave of teaching like the Apostle Paul says. I want you to have a sure, rooted foundation. I want you to be protected from Satan. I want you to be protected from the world. I want you to be protected from yourself. I want you to be protected and know me. And I love you so much that I'm not letting someone else tell you these things. I'm going to tell you these things. It's this is grace upon grace to us that He gives us this book. But I see that this doctrine primarily protects us. It protects us against legalism. What I mean by that is it protects us against these man-made traditions that people try to impose on us, claiming that this is what God wants for us to do or to abstain from, and yet these things aren't found in God's Word. Right? That's what I mean by legalism, people trying to impose man-made traditions on us, claiming that this is what God says and what God wants us to do. There are people, and we can see this pretty good around us, there are people who go around condemning things that God does not condemn and then make up rules that they demand should be followed. Some of my favorite examples around here. Uh, Christians can never, ever drink alcohol under any circumstance because that is a sin. God does not say that. Right? Or you can't watch an R-rated movie purely because it's R-rated. I'm not telling you not to use the sermon on that, but Christians can't watch movies with these certain ratings. Or Christians can't go to these certain places. Or Christians can't look a certain way. Or Christians can't have tattoos. Or, uh, or, or Christians can't read certain translations of the Bible. God forbid we don't read something in 1611 English. Right? Like, like, all that kind of stuff. Or there's also these man-made rules that we see that you must be baptized in order to be saved. Or you must speak in tongues in order to be saved. Or you must go to confession with a priest and have them absolve you of your sins. And you must do a work of penance in order to be saved. You must have faith in Christ and then be incredibly moral and never, ever, ever screw up in order to be saved. You must become sinless. Again, these are all things that aren't in the Bible. So how are we going to fight against these things? Because the people who are saying this and the churches that are saying this are claiming that this comes from God. We fight it with the scripture. This is what Jesus did in in Mark chapter 7. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? They had this rule that said, If you've been out among Gentiles, you've got to wash your hands before you can eat. And they say, Why aren't your people following the, the traditions of the elders? Why are they sinning? And Jesus said back to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Jesus held to the scriptures being the only authority that can bind the conscience of God's people. And because Jesus held to sola scriptura... Jesus could shrug off and ignore what the Pharisees were saying to him. What these legalists were saying, because he knew only God's word was binding. Not only does it protect us against legalism, but sola scriptura protects us against false teachers. It protects us against people who teach things that contradict the Bible. Or who teach, uh, or, or rather, who refuse to teach the fullness of God's word, willfully ignoring things for the sake of popularity, or willfully ignoring things in order to make the faith more palatable to unbelievers, claiming that certain sins are okay with God, or that certain things aren't sin, or that you don't really have to repent. You can just mentally uh, agree with these facts, but there has to be no life change for you to come to Christ. Or that there are more ways to God than through faith alone in Christ alone. Again, these false teachers oppose the truth. And Scripture protects us from these people by describing them to us. Scripture describes them. Warning us against them. Telling us what to look for in a false teacher. And then at the same time, Scripture tells us what to look for in teachers and pastors. Read the pastoral epistles if you want to, and nail me and Steve to the wall if you see us messing up. If you see us not being what the Bible says that your teachers are supposed to be being and doing. But Scripture tells us what to look for in a teacher. Scripture gives us a standard by which to measure all other things. Without Scripture as our authority, we are liable to only listen to people who make us feel good. People who say things that that make us happy, or people who are really good speakers, right? Like, let's be totally honest. Stephen Furtick is a fantastic speaker. Right, but some of the stuff he teaches is straight up garbage and unbiblical. TD Jakes is a fantastic speaker, but that dude teaches garbage. Joyce Meyer is a fantastic public speaker. Joel Osteen is a fantastic public speaker. Right? Well, again, we could we could keep going. Paul White, right? We could keep going down the list of all these people. They are great public speakers, and yet whenever we measure them against the standard of what the Bible says they ought to be teaching, they fall short and prove that they're a, they're in opposition to the truth. Scripture gives us a standard. But without that standard, we're going to listen to whoever we want and ultimately be led astray into myths about a false God that cannot save. But not only that, this is is the most important one to me. What does Scripture protect us against? Scripture protects us against ourselves. I'm not saying that to be coy or cute. You and I can be our own worst enemies if we do not have Scripture governing our lives. Jeremiah 17.9 is one of the, my favorite verses in the Bible because it reminds me why I need the Word every day. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? it means you are more wicked than you fully understand you are. It means you naturally don't want to listen to God. You naturally want to believe whatever it is that sounds right and feels right to you. And if you're a Christian, you've been born again by the Holy Spirit and you have a new nature with which to do war with your sinful nature. But nevertheless, our sinful nature is strong. The new nature is stronger, thank God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's a battle. And we will try to deceive ourselves. And we will succeed without God's Word. If you hang out with me ever, this might make you laugh. Like, I think, or I believe, or I feel, right? Like your believies, like this make you want to rub your shoulders because they make you feel good, right? I think, I believe, or I feel is the most dangerous statement that you can possibly make when talking about God if the following words are not, I think, because I see that Paul says, or I think, because I see this in the Bible, I think, I believe, I feel can be the most dangerous statements that you possibly make in your life if the following stuff is not rooted in Scripture. Why is that? Because we can justify any sin, can we not? Well, I know God tells me not to lust, and I I know He told me not to watch porn, uh, but it was better than sleeping with my girlfriend, wasn't it? (laughs) You see what I'm saying? we can justify anything but if we have the standard that says no jesus says do not look at a woman with lust then no matter what we say no matter how we try to reason it boom there it is we're wrong and scripture's right we can justify any false belief that we want to because it's it's sometimes really hard for us to swallow that god would damn some of the people that we love who reject jesus is it not That that person is going to perish for eternity. That is weighty on us, and that hurts. And it's really easy for us to say, well, you know, I think that God will eventually save everybody because the Bible says He is love whenever we ignore other portions of Scripture that God says He will judge every man. And those who are found outside of Christ will be damned. We can justify anything. This is the biggest problem in the American church. I see it sometimes here in our church, so we are not exempt. The biggest problem that we have is that we substitute God's word with our thoughts and what the culture tells us to think. And that is the path to hell. Proverbs 14:12 says there is a way that seems right unto a man, but it leads to death. Don't trust yourself. Scripture alone protects us from us. But the biggest reason that we should look to scripture alone is because scripture alone contains the message of the gospel which Paul says is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. The Bible alone contains this message that says, Though we have rejected God and His authority and have not looked to His word, and though we have believed ourselves in our lies, and we have rejected Him and done as we saw fit and believed whatever we wanted to believe and lived our lives governed by whatever we think, that God promises to save us through faith in Christ because Christ has been the satisfier of God's wrath for us in our place. That Christ has taken all of our disobedience, all our rejection of God and His authority, and He has nailed it to the tree with Himself. Scripture alone is the only place that we find that message. Paul even says it's not from human wisdom that we preach this message. It's from God. So how is this doctrine relevant? Right? Like this has been argued about for 499 years, this October 31st. How is this relevant today? Quickly, Scripture is is under constant attack from the world and from Satan. Even from Genesis, did God really say is the first thing that he tempts human, human beings with? It's the number one thing he wants us to reject the book. We are daily tempted to unbelief. And I don't mean just a mental unbelief, but disobedience and not trusting Christ is unbelief. To disobey God is to say, I don't think that this is the best way for me to live. I don't think you're really the authority. Disobedience is unbelief. We are told regularly that this book is antiquated and bigoted and contains errors and was written by wicked men with wicked agendas. We are daily tempted to ignore the Bible and fashion a false God in our own minds that we are comfortable with because that false God that we create would never say no or say or do something that we don't like. These are daily temptations for us. So how is this relevant? Because the question that this doctrine makes us ask ourselves is, Who will you believe? Who will you believe? Will you believe God and His Word? Or will you be like the people in Second Timothy chapter 4, who with itching ears won't endure sound doctrine, but will chase just myths? Will you believe yourself? Will you believe a false teacher that says something that you like? Will you believe yourself because you're telling yourself something you like? Who will you obey? Will you obey yourself and the world or the God of the book? Who will you believe? Who will you obey? And the reason why this question is relevant is because if we trust anything except the God of Scripture, then we are trusting an idol that cannot save. Cannot. Cannot. We believe the scriptures by faith, but it's not a blind faith. I'll lay that before you as well. We believe this by faith, but not a blind faith. Rather, this, the Holy Spirit has given us the gift of faith and attests to the truth of the Bible to us. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We won't get into that this evening. What I mean by that is only those who have been born again of the Holy Spirit can see the truth of scripture. And the reason why I'm saying this is because we don't need to get in arguments and fights. Not that we shouldn't defend Scripture, but really and truly, this is a spiritual matter. You can present the best argument in the world to an unbeliever as to why this book is true. It will not change them, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in them. John 10, 25-27, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe Because you are not among my sheep My sheep hear my voice And I know them And they follow me So those who reject the voice of Christ In the scriptures are lost They do not hear God Because they do not belong to God And they need God to work in them They need the gospel Just for the record I'm not talking about those of us Who struggle with the Bible How could God do this? And he still says that he's good I don't mean that you're struggling with it. That's normal. And we want to help you with that, if that's you. Please come talk to us. But I'm talking about those who reject the Bible are lost, and they need the gospel. So don't go, don't go running out of here saying, oh, I'm going to argue from the Scripture why the Scripture is true, because um, that's not going to work on an unbeliever. The Apostle Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 2. Jesus says that in John 10. They need the gospel. So tell those people the gospel, that they need to repent and believe on Christ. But to wrap this whole thing up, take up and read. Pick the book up and read it. Trust this book with your life. Because in this book is life. It is is given to, to you from God as a grace to guide and protect you and show you the God of your salvation. Let it guide you. Contend for this book. Fight for it. Look to it. Be comforted by it. Be convicted by it. Believe it. Trust it. Obey it. Because it is the voice of God. Hear your shepherd's voice and then run to him in faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us the word made flesh in Christ. God, help us to be people who see your glory in the scriptures, who see your character in the scriptures and say, I'll call the whole world a liar and this book is true. Holy Spirit, illuminate the scriptures to your people. We're blind without you. Help us to rely on the sufficiency of Scripture and not a false prophet, not a false teacher. Not the traditions of men, but the Scripture alone. Sanctify us by your truth, Jesus said. Your word is truth. Help us to not just believe on paper, but to trust and obey you as you revealed yourself in your word. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.